Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. If you promise not to do it, I'll pay you. I'll pay you as much as he will. You won't gain anything by giving me away as long as I'm willing to make it worth your while. I've got to get to New York without being stopped. It's terribly important to me. I'd pay you now, only the only thing I had when I jumped off the yacht was a wristwatch and I had to pawn that to get these clothes. But I'll give you my address and you can get in touch with me the minute you get to New York. Never mind. You know, I had you pegged right from the jump. There's a spoiled brat of a rich father. The only way you get anything is to buy it, isn't it? You're in a jam, and all you can think of is your money. It never fails, does it? Ever hear of the word humility? No, you wouldn't. I guess it never occurred to you to just say, please, mister, I'm in trouble. Will you help me? No. Let it bring you down off your high horse for a minute. In this episode, we're jumping on a bus with Frank Capra's 1934 romantic comedy, It Happened One Night, written by Robert Riskin. Led by Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, the latter being paid several times the salary of her male co-star to appear in the film, this movie was one of the last pre-code romantic comedies to be released and is one of only three films, along with Silence of the Lambs and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, to have been awarded all five of the major Academy Awards. Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress and Best Adapted Screenplay. Tonight we'll be dunking some donuts with Ellie and Peter, and perhaps gnawing on a few carrots too. Are these two young people deeply in love, or are they just ungrateful brats? I mean, the the whole concept that she, not exactly the same, she's running away from her father, having eloped to marry a rich man. I mean, coming from money, this guy probably isn't as rich as her father. Yeah, she she's running away, and it's really... This elaborate, I mean, it's almost like succession where it's all set on this boat at the beginning. And she, um, after being scolded by her dad of locking herself in this room and at the time, I guess, was would be a luxury yacht and then swimming off and, and making a run for it back to New York. It's yeah. um, She's on the run and being pursued. And, and you know, to compare it to Midnight Run, you know, she's on the lamb. She from the beginning is seen as I mean, not I say a troublemaker but she's definitely looking for independence yes uh, and in 1934 this would have been a very I suppose to a lot of people who would have gone to see this at the cinema they would have seen it as quite enlightening um, for how things were at the time and a young woman sort of taking charge of her own life yes it was it was a strong performance Oh, completely, completely. And I, I like how she has many facets, doesn't she? So on the one hand, she can be very forthright when she wants to be. She jumps off that boat and, um, you know, when a man comes onto on the bus, she, you know, really doesn't, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't tolerate his, you know, and, and just kind of trying to chat her up. She puts him in his place and... She uh, also kind of knows where to draw the line when it comes to Peter as well. But at the same time, you know, you don't have her kind of um, sort of pushing too much of a exaggerated, snooty performance, do you? She's not sort of playing some rich bitch who then has to be melted by the by the guy from the other side of the tracks. I think that from the get-go, her her performance and her characterization is more nuanced than that and less obvious, isn't it? Yeah, very much. I mean, she she's from money, but she's not that way inclined. I guess maybe Rachel Green is kind of a, a comparison with her and that you know, she she knows 
where she's come from. Yeah. But she's trying to become independent. She's trying to do her own thing. And having not been around in 1934, it's, it's hard to, to put yourself in a position where she's getting hit on constantly. And I'm not sure how the world worked in that her running away from her family was a front page story on the newspapers. And that's how Clark Gable's character was aware of her. And I guess is she like a thirties equivalent of a Kardashian or someone like that? You know, everyone knows who yeah, she is. Maybe but, so. Yes. Maybe so. I mean, it would have been, or maybe, maybe like Lady Diana or mm. something There's like the that. Chalk and cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the way that, Peter came into the the film. He's being basically fired by his editor. He's a, a journalist. And seeing this as his kind of his way back into the big time by scooping this story about this incredibly famous person. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the relationship alone between Peter and his editor is, is one thing. But the, the way that he t- treats this, he takes or tries to take her under his wing. Yeah. And yet she resists so much because of the way that he is. And yet times are still very proper. I mean, we've got the whole elements of the blanket when they're sharing a room and, and his mannerisms of standing up when she gets hit on by the, the little Weasley salesman on the bus. It's quite a heroic performance from him. And he's certainly very charming and debonair. I mean, the tailoring and the suits and... I mean, oh, how I how that. did they yeah. look so immaculate after spending a, all that time on a bus? I mean, you can just go to a coach station and see what comes off a mega bus at six in the morning. And- <laughs> yes, I love I loved how he went to get her dress pressed. <laughs> You've got to do it properly, spent- haven't you? Yeah, exactly. You know all of that, all of that rather marvelous. Yeah, well, th- that that kind of that kind of thing. It's it's interesting now how how certain mores have changed because it's almost as if then it was more acknowledged that certain things can happen to you when you're a woman traveling on your own, like somebody on the bus hitting on you. I mean, that scene reminds me a bit of that meme that goes around on Twitter of the of the painting of the of the girl being chatted to <laughs> by the guy on the yeah. seat behind that people like to caption. I mean, it ca- it really that scene really captures that feeling, doesn't it? Mm. And um, yeah, would you say that now men would be less likely to intervene if they saw that a girl was being hit on in the way that they didn't want to be? I, I think there's there's kind of two sides to that. I think in some ways they might be a bit more cautious around it because it's hard to tell sometimes what's going on. You you know, things aren't always that black and white, especially if you're on a bus or a tube or something like that, where you don't know what the relationship is between these, on these people that they might just be having an argument. But then obviously now there's, you know, that there is a, an attempt to shift people and mostly men's perspectives of things and that they need to speak up uh, inappropriate behavior and challenge this kind of thing. So, I, I think maybe it's an attempt at going in that direction 
uh, yeah. whether, whether everyone would have the confidence. I mean, you can always assume that the, if you're going to start telling someone off, that they'll probably have a knife on them or something like that. But um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess on, on this bus. But then the weird thing is, is that when she's being hit on by the guy and he immediately backs off when he realises she's married or is under yes. the impression that she's married. Yeah. Of course, technically she is. But then we find out that that guy is married with kids. Yes. So it's the double standards there. Oh, yeah. No, completely. Well, that's how, how it works. And I mean, I think that that's still very much the case uh, now where there's something about um, if you're a woman and someone thinks that you're single, you're you're kind of meant to be, you're regarded as being by some people much more, as they say, fair game than if you say that you're connected to a guy. And I don't, I, you know, that's, I think that's still really prevalent. And it's one of the things that can make being single as a woman stressful sometimes is that um, you're treated sometimes with slightly less respect by some people. Just because, you know, having a, having a man in your life is a, is a kind of status symbol, I think, for some women still, you know. I mean, that's just how society views it. Yeah, very much. I yeah. mean, we're, we're nearly 90 years on and how much have things changed? But... Oh, dearie oh, me. Terrible. It is terrible. Well, yeah. that's, the, that's the thing that makes this... Um, the connection in this film is rather delicious, I think, because it captures quite a lot of what is wonderful between men and women when they connect romantically, but also what can be really frustrating and what can, you know, create the the bickering and um, the things that really get under your skin about each other sometimes. And I think that the way they manage to do, they realistically portray the attraction between them in that way it, it really crackles and it you know I think that's why it holds up so well this movie is because yeah it feel it doesn't feel like a kind of sugar-coated connection between these two and even the fact that the whole thing you never get do you, you never get the big cheesy romantic declaration at the end of the film you never get the big kiss scene it's actually all played really kind of quite um in quite a kind of clipped way that never descends into sentimentality and that's quite that feels quite different to how a lot of romantic films are played over the course of our lifetimes isn't it yeah well and and as we discussed in our earlier episode about the Finn man which came out this year and and paul our, our guest and a musical maestro who you'll have heard at the start of the episode he talked mm. about films being pre-code and uh, it was the Hayes code around it wasn't immorality or anything like that but it was around decency and all that in, in movies of that era and this was one of the later films to be done but before this code was implemented and and even then you know that the ending of the scene there wasn't an obvious physical they didn't have a big kiss or anything like that and yet the final scene of them jumping to the end where they were in uh, an auto camp, a, a motel, and then turning the lights off and the implication that the blanket between them has come down, therefore we'll, we'll do what couples do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. frequently referred to as the walls of Jericho, but, um, yes. you know, and the fact that he had a trumpet... Just, just to announce that as well. He made me go and get a trumpet. <laughs> Why did you do that? That's so funny. One of the, the kinkier things Clark Gable might have asked for. Yeah, <laughs> completely. No, well, that's what's that's what's so interesting 
about this and goes against lots of cliches about these, you know, old people talk about these old sort of dusty films before everyone, you know, got much more in touch with their, yeah, in touch with their sexuality and this, that, the other. But this one, as you say, even the note that it ends on and everything, it's much more about sex and sort of sexuality, sexual connection between people than it is about, you know, the idea of a kind of soppy greeting card, uh, you know, a big wedding dress, any of these things, you know, they've even got the scene with her running out on her wedding, which I think that you might've inspired the one in The Graduate a little bit that we talked about Hmm. in a previous episode where it's actually sort of made quite clear that the film doesn't necessarily think much of this idea of romance being wrapped up in a kind of frilly package, that it's actually much more about what happens between two people when they're in a small, cramped, hot motel room. (laughs) (laughs) I guess because the the kind of most soppy part of the film is when they're in the motel towards the end. Yeah. When he starts talking about his dream island in the Pacific and Ellie essentially melts and says, take me with you, Peter, take me to your island. I want to do all those things you talked about. And it kind of goes against the whole no man is an island thing. But um, yeah, but that that's kind of as as sentimental and as soppy as it gets. Um, You know, and it's a little bit out of kilter with the rest of the film in that while we've seen looks and there are exchanges between the two where where things are becoming more than flirting and playful, there are some some pits where you kind of think, oh, okay. And yet this is where it goes. And then he eventually comes to, but he has to go to New York and get all this money and where the kind of the caper and the, I've called it before, peril in yeah. the film... Um, but yeah, it's kind of other than that, it's not really overly saccharine. It's not done to death as in some way in some films definitely since and probably before, you know, and by the time they do reconvene at her wedding or whatever later on, you know, things are a lot frostier because things haven't gone to plan. They're certainly not on their island. Yes. I mean, I think that scene that you describe with them in the motel where he's talking about that is you kind of need it I think because it's you could kind of view that scene as being the being the successful seduction scene where he's he's kind of just talking talking through what his idea of life and love is and even the the things that he's describing of kind of you know surrendering himself to the waves with the woman that he's with and how she'd love to do that with him and, you know, take in the stars above. I saw an island in the Pacific once. Never been able to forget it. That's where I'd like to take her. She'd have to be the sort of a girl who would jump in the surf with me and love it as much as I did. You can regard it as saccharine in one interpretation or you could kind of think of it as someone kind of describing the sort of abandon that they want in a in a relationship. No wonder they brought that code in to curb such <laughs> things. Ugh. I mean, I do, I do, Joe. I I think it. I think it is quite a sexy film. What do you think? Yeah, there, there, there's large parts of it which are and, and do come across in that way. I mean, in, in that 
that scene where he's talking about this island, he says, boy, if I could ever find a girl who was hungry for those things. Mm. Loaded (laughs) with that's what she said. That is, but, um, it really is. And, um, and I think that there's so many parts of it and, and there is a lot of, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? Yeah. But, you need the journey to get to the final destination. And I, and I think that's where you see, and without outing myself as a complete Luddite and not having seen many films of the era, it's hard to say in all truth, but you can see how influential this film was, both in plot and in the manner in which things are done. And I'm yes. not sure how much how much credit is really given to it. I think it's almost like has that much time passed that these things become kind of common, but the, the way that they interact, the, you know, there isn't an awful lot weirdly in the film that has aged that much. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at some of the far more recent films that we've talked about, other than, I think there's a couple of, I mean, her father slaps her Mm. quite early on and that's, really about it um, yes you know some yeah. maybe outdated attitudes but again it's 1930s that, that that's what happened then so I, I mean it's it's held up surprisingly well and again you know you could redo it now and i don't know, like stick a kardashian and turn her into an influencer or something but <laughs> ugh. but um you're not you're not a million miles away no and um and with some, something like When Harry Met Sally, which I think is probably the most commonly referenced romantic comedy as being one of the finest ones that Hollywood has produced, that early scene, that, you know, the, the, the opening sequence of scenes with them taking that car journey together, there's a lot of that, I think, that is quite influenced by this film and even the, the energy between them, his... Uh, you know Harry's kind of vulgarity, the thing of him. But was he? Is he eating grapes and spitting the pips out the window and things? Or yeah. Sally kind of looks, you know, sort of horrified and and um, sort of telling her that she looks attractive and and Sally telling him that you know she sh- he shouldn't come on to her and and all of that that kind of friction between them over the course of a of a trip. I think is very similar to to this and. Um, as you say, I don't think I don't think this movie is maybe given quite enough credit for for being one of the films that pioneers that kind of yeah that that slightly kind of rocky feeling between two characters where you sense their attraction, but their attraction sort of comes from the fact that you can see that they're coming from very different perspectives, and I think that it quite often causes a bit of debate this because. I think some people think that there might be an inherent kind of um, toxic feeling to to this being one of the kind of most commonly used tropes in a romantic comedy where there's friction between the man and woman and that ideally we should be going for something much more mutually respectful with no one ever taking the piss or, or saying anything potentially degrading. But um, but then other people, I think, think that that's a kind of realistic depiction of of how men and women sometimes interact when there's an attraction between them. What do you think? Well, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, while the scene where they're crossing the the stream, for example, where she's over his shoulder and he stops to 
asks her to carry his bag so he can slap her <laughs> ass. It's that is probably quite normal, and I think it's fun. Yeah, I can see why some people might not like that, but to be honest, if you're in a relationship, and obviously they're not at this point, but let's be honest, they're on the way. Um, yeah. I think I think it's fun. I think it's fun too. Yeah, and I, I you know, I don't want to be the the fun police in this kind of thing. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's that's no fun, but it's. <laughs> I think there's there's parts of it where as long as you are respectful of each other's boundaries, then why not do those kind of things? You know, it's obviously yes. affectionate. The fact that she's over his shoulder crossing a river or a stream, it's, it is fun and it's part of the character. It's part of his roguish qualities. He's, I say rogue. Yeah, he's, rogue's maybe, but he's very charming. Yes. Charming. Yeah, and I think there's something very. I was I was thinking about the, the spank, and how there's something about um, bottom slapping that is so down to the exact context of it. You show me a good piggybacker, and I'll show you a real human. Now you take Abraham Lincoln, for instance, a natural-born piggybacker. Where do you get off of that stuffed shirt family of yours? My father was a great piggybacker. Here, hold this a minute. And also sometimes when you see it done in films or if you see it in real life, it can feel like a kind of condescending, you know, keeping someone in line kind of thing. But the way it's done in that scene, I think a lot of it comes down to their very natural physical chemistry together. They look very comfortable with each other. They're having this fantastically funny chat about the correct way to do piggybacks which I really love. It's exactly like the kind of discussion that um, Jerry and George would have in Seinfeld. <laughs> and, um, you know, so there's something very, very kind of offhand about that. And then when he does give her a, li a little spank, it doesn't feel sort of overly sexualized. It kind of feels like it's in the middle of two people horsing around together, mm. which makes it quite specific in terms of its context and um yeah you, you go with it and you think as you say it doesn't it doesn't feel harmful it feels kind of part of the part of the um to and fro between them uh, when you look at the motivations for the two um and, and we've kind of made ellie's out a little bit more you know she's she's running away from her rich father to be with king wesley I mean, imagine the parents of him calling him king <laughs> yeah. i mean they, they've got some high hopes for this guy they really do yeah yeah i mean i suppose you know people get called i suppose women called queen but you get to a point where his motivation peter's motivation is to get this story that gets him back into the professional world he's been fired by his boss um, who at some point further down the line says, oh, he's the best newsman in the business, but they just fired him. And yeah. they have a, a relationship that's rocky and almost deserving of his own episode. But yeah. they, um, but he's using this as his springboard back to stardom, you know, the, the great comeback. And he's quite open about that to her. You know, yeah. what, why is he helping her? Oh, I, you're a story this is why I'm doing it. I'm, you know, it's in his interest to get her to where she wants to be. 
Yeah, it's quite it's quite unusual that reveal, isn't it, in this? Because usually in in romantic comedies where someone where the guy in particular is keeping that kind of secret from the woman, it would be she'd only find out, wouldn't she, at the eleventh hour that that was why he was doing it. You know, what you did this for a bet? You know that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's quite, he's actually quite he's quite kind of frank with her. There isn't he's not um, relying on an elaborate performance. There's very little subterfuge in there, certainly between the the two of them, which is refreshing because sometimes, like you say, there is there's a bet or there's a hidden secret somewhere that will come out in the towards the end of the second act and will set up the end of the film. But you know, other than they both become quite smitten with each other in various ways, but you know, their, their motivations are made out that the same. That they are where they are. And something else that hasn't aged, you know, he's probably now, he might be a blogger or a YouTuber <laughs> following her for, for his fame and fortune. But ultimately, you know, he, quite honest, I'm following you for a story. I'm writing a piece on you. I need to make sure you get from A to B where the, the midnight run thing comes in. But Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I guess you know I'd I'd be remiss what twenty five minutes in or whatever if we didn't mention the fact that this film is essentially spaceballs on Earth. Uh, so. Oh, so so um, so explain that to me. I haven't seen Spaceballs for a while. Oh, wonderful movie, wonderful movie. So essentially, that and and you can imagine perfectly that this would have been forefront of Mel Brooks' mind, you know, as a parody, and and I mean where you look at how films are heavily laden onto older movies for their sort of structure anyway. And um, in Spaceballs, uh, Bill Pullman's character is hired by the king of Druidia to to rescue his daughter, who's run away from a wedding. Oh, okay. Um, And after all the trials and tribulations, he eventually returns her to the king and she gets annoyed because she thinks he's only done it for the reward money. But in essence, he's only taken expenses. So, oh, okay. So when the big reveal is that, oh, no, he didn't take the reward. He just took money for lunch and gas, which is exactly what happens here. And <laughs> you see that and you think about, you know, all the, the things that the different things that go on. And obviously Spaceballs is laid with everything else, you know, mostly Star Wars based. But there's still at the relationship of that movie and and in this one it's about I'm not doing it for money but as Clark Gable says I'm doing it for the principle you know he's he's lost out on a hat and underwear and socks and shirts and all these things to get her home and takes was it $39 or something yes so you know it's funny that that's the kind of trigger and I'm I'm trying not to think too much about spaceballs now, but <laughs> when when Ellie learns of this, that essentially he didn't do it for the money, he did do it for a story, but he was never dishonest about that. Yeah. And then he took the money that was owed to him by right, and not the money that he would have got as a reward just for doing the chivalrous thing. Yeah. And that he's honest, and that he's everything he said was was legit. So um, the fact that she runs away from... I mean, she's already married, so this would have been an elaborate renewing of vows or something like that. But but still, um, it is quite amusing. And you've also got something else in Spaceballs was the kind of... 
the pithy <laughs> look between the king and, and the prince who she was supposed to be marrying. Yes. Whereas in this, it was between her father and the guy that she was married to and said, oh, I'll give him, was it $100,000 for an annulment or something like that? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, any excuse to talk space balls, but... We are gathered here together again. Why didn't you tell me he didn't take the money? I didn't think it was important. May I continue, please? Besides, he asked me not to tell you. Uh, a scene that um, uh, I don't know whether you remember it in Clueless, but Cher tells her dad that she's she's um, fallen in love with someone that thinks that she's just a, a spoilt brat and that she can't really do anything to prove to him that um, she's she's worthy of love. And um, yeah, the, the scene in, in this where Ellie talks about that to her, her father is really... It's really similar to that one in Clueless. And another film that this reminds me of, I don't know whether you've ever seen it, but it's the Kevin Klein, Meg Ryan romantic comedy, French Kiss, which is directed by Lawrence Kasten. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I'm aware of its existence. Yes, <laughs> yes. And Kevin Klein plays a sexy French man oh, in well. it. <laughs> Easily and, done. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it's very very inspired by um by this movie yeah mm. you can see i think a lot of the rom-coms that have come since you can see so many echoes and as we talked about i think yeah we had a we had a message exchange about it last night didn't we um that bugs bunny <laughs> the whole the whole shtick of bugs bunny having a carrot being nonchalant being a bit of a wise ass is based on clark gable in it happened one night with his carrots leaning against a fence, which is amazing. Imagine these days a movie having that much influence. And it's difficult to see at the time, obviously, with with Bugs Bunny, for example. I mean, that, that gained popularity over, over decades. But, you know, when, when you think about that and, and something that's genuinely quite a small, albeit amusing part of the film that a character trait like that, you know, it's not it's like having a toothpick or that's gone on to form one of the main parts of one of the most popular cartoon characters ever. Yeah. Um, just out of this film. I mean, yeah. it's hard to see something that powerful elsewhere. But yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean a, a film winning five Oscars and those five Oscars gives you the, the kind of right to, to sit there and go, right, take what we've got and make it your own, Mel Brooks. But, um, <laughs> Completely. <laughs> What, so why do you think, um, because as, as we said at the beginning of the episode, only uh, Silence of the Lambs and One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest have won the, the big five, uh, the Oscars, along with this one. Why do you think it is that we used to take romantic comedies seriously enough to sort of, you know, lavish them with that many awards in a way that would never happen now? Well, I think that that's the thing. I mean, that kind of goes beyond what is merely kind of what's current and i think because romantic comedies have been around for you know since the beginning of cinema yeah. but you know it's difficult when while the perhaps the breadth of films is slightly larger now in a way i mean perhaps now's not the right time to say that because a lot of films now they're the ones that get released are either these giant 
franchise heavy ones or perhaps something that's had a load of money thrown at it because of a star or director or something but you don't always get that in between film anymore but um i i think you'd kind of need to hit upon that magic formula and 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 when you compare it to its peers as well and see what else it was up against you know when you think about you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest and silence the lambs they're both brilliant films and and you know, when this looks at a relationship where so many people in this world have had a relationship, it's like not not everyone's been a cannibal or locked up in a mental institution. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to to contextualise in that manner, but um, it is a bit easy to say it's snobbish. But then, romantic yeah. comedies are loved, and yet there are people who complain that um, superhero films don't really win many oscars yes when to be honest they're often the big certainly the big money makers and the big ones that appeal to to large demographics but yeah it's a yes it's a strange sea change it's also i think we've we've talked about it the first time we chatted we talked about a fish called wonder didn't we and we talked Mm. about how kevin klein won an oscar for his performance as Otto in that film and how that was quite unusual for a really incredible comic performance to get rewarded the Oscars that usually, you know, it's it's something more dramatic and how um, the, the idea of kind of respecting how hard it is to both write, direct and perform comedy has has sort of, you know, seeped out of the industry a little bit in in recent times where whereas you can see that with this they they understand that it's not um it's not necessarily easy to write a really good comic script and then to execute it as well as they they do here. So it's really it's really nice to think that there was there was one time where you could say to someone, "Oh, I watched a really good rom-com last night." and they wouldn't sort of inwardly sneer and and think, "Oh, did you did you do it with a big with a big pint of ice cream and a cat <laughs> and a cat curled up in your lap, you know." So. Oh, you saw me, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um what do you think it is about uh road trip? movies that are so great at showing us relationships because you um yeah we talked about midnight run and also i think people compare this one to trains planes and automobiles as well and um and also something like you know thelma and louise does it you know there are so many of the ones that really take you through the ups and downs of people kind of getting to know each other and um going through it happen in in this kind of context it's it's strange in that idea again for Trains, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. When the scene on the bus, when everyone was singing, um, yes, and you compare it to planes, trains, where it had where Steve Martin starts singing, was it Free Coins in a Fountain, and he gets immediately rescued by John Candy singing the Flintstones because know your audience. Um, <laughs> but in, in this, you know, everyone's having a good old sing song. But I think there is that standard where people are confined in a space um, and it kind of engineers it quite perfectly where you both whether inadvertently or deliberately going somewhere on a journey an actual journey not an emotional one and yeah you're in a confined space whether it's a car a plane a train etc and you, you don't have an escape so you're kind of forced to interact with one or more people 
something as simple even as two people trying to go to sleep together in the same room tells you so much about a character because everyone goes to sleep in a different way, don't they? I mean, they do that so brilliantly between um, Steve Martin and, and John John Candy in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. But um, here they do it really well too. They One of my favourite bits in um, It Happened One Night is the is that little moment of um, of Ellie not really kind of quite knowing how to deal with Peter taking his clothes off in front <laughs> of her in that early motel scene. And, um, and you know, it, it's such a sort of intimate moment and playful and funny, but at the same time, you know, she doesn't really kind of quite know what to do. And you can see that she's kind of taken, taken by surprise and, he looks very handsome and um and yeah just those those kind of moments sort of putting people together in those contexts and then also another one of my favorite bits is the scene that you referenced of the them all singing on the bus and a scene like that I think is so great and quite unusual in these kind of romantic comedies where quite often you're they're very worried these days that the audience are going to get bored so everything has to be um quite dramatic between your characters and actually you don't see that many scenes where you just have your characters enjoying themselves in a social context and you just sort of see them exchanging looks and joining in with something that's going on around them. And I think that that scene is really important and quite rare. Actually, what, you know, the most, probably the most famous scene in the film, almost famous, uh, is of them all on the tour bus uh, singing a tiny dancer by Elton John together. And that's a really good example of a scene that's probably, again, a bit inspired by this film, um, where it's about you see the characters that you're following through the the narrative actually just losing themselves in a moment rather than everything having to be about moving the the story along. And they have, you know, like in, in The Breakfast Club, they have those little scenes, don't they, that I really like, you know, them all kind of whistling together and just sort of getting through the day together and actually i i kind of think that sometimes those those kind of things tell you more about a character don't they than about than just the action 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 all the time uh, i just think that the the way that it keeps you engaged enough and there's always the the surprise elements as well where the bit that yeah, I mean, when we sometimes share on Twitter, for example, that we're almost a hint to our followers of what we're watching next, what episode yeah. we're doing next. And you shared the a GIF, is it GIF or GIF? No, of um, Ellie hitchhiking because Peter had failed so miserably. <laughs> and it is kind of that stand back and watch this. Um, and we've laughed at similar examples of that in the past, but um, yeah, he's, I'm going to show you how to hitchhike. And yeah. this is kind of something that hasn't aged at all because this is still goes on. I'm a man. Watch me do man things. <laughs> it's the, yeah, he won't ask for directions thing. Yeah, there's so many different versions of this. Yeah. Isn't there? And, yeah. Um, and despite all his best efforts to attract a hitchhiker, he sits down sort of tail between his legs and she gets up and just flashes a bit of leg, which in 1934, and you could see almost Peter's eyes coming out of their stalks. Mm. Wow, leg. Mm. Woman. Um, <laughs> it still works now. It works. still works now, baby. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but <laughs> um, 
the uh, yeah it happens and and it works and it's so it's done for comic effect this car immediately screeching to a halt like something out of a carry-on film but it, (laughs) it is funny and it is just puts him in his place it gives her that little bit of power that she's yes she's along for the ride but she's just as important and you know let's be honest if the film had ended they couldn't get a lift anywhere and both lay there and starve to death she saved their lives <laughs> exactly and it also that that bit is so nice as well because up until then he's been teaching her so many things about being streetwise and knowing how to kind of you know take care of herself and do things and it's and that's a lovely little touch of her knowing how to get a car to stop and him him not knowing despite all of these skills that he has now, that's great they um as people that have seen sex and city 2 that's very um directly referenced that scene in that along with various in fact i think it's referenced more than more than once in sex and city the series as well so so yes it's a it's very it's a very famous moment doing some research on the film and reading about it because i didn't know an awful lot and how both of the stars were say coerced is maybe the wrong way to describe it but but weren't impressed with the film they kind of did it you know that they these were this wasn't a passion project for either of them Mm, yeah completely Uh, you know and she virtually disowned the film until it turned out she won an oscar he (laughs) gave he gave his oscar away yeah um and was it i think i read on imdb he's just before the first take of the first scene said right let's get this over with which you know i've said on many occasions but it's um <laughs> it's um it, it's one of those things where you, again that doesn't translate to the screen um the, the scene of them in the hotel where they the detectives catch up with them and they fake this argument to put oh, them off wonderful. the scent and and how that is done is so it's funny it's clever it's a little bit of its time in in the way that he talks to her but that's of its time and, and that's probably how a lot of things were and yeah. but the chemistry between them they as soon as the detectives left they suddenly break back into themselves and laugh together and all these yeah oh it's so <laughs> sweet that's so they're so you can't in in a moment like that they seem like such uh an intimate coupling don't they mm. there's something about the way they start laughing after they've left and <laughs> yeah. and um, kind of compliment each other on the other one's performance and things, yeah. you know, and and again, it makes her actually look much more engaged with reality than we might have credited her for earlier on in the film, because she she knows how to play a convincing put upon wife in a fractious relationship and things very well, doesn't she? So yeah, yeah. you don't learn those things at finishing school, do you? <laughs> no. And um, yeah, and there are these lovely bits like the bit where she's sitting on the fence and she asks him to get the 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 seed out between her teeth with his knife and things you know like real moments of sort of physical intimacy it's a bit like what we were saying about the piggyback spank and stuff there are these sort of moments between them that aren't necessarily on the nose sexual or flirtatious they just feel like two people who are physically very comfortable with each other and i love how frank capra directed them to do that and again i think that's really overlooked in a lot of romantic comedies where you just put in things where you just yeah just show that you're you know that you're comfortable with one another that you you know that you will touch each other but not just in a flirtatious sense also just in a way that you know two people do when they 
when they have met someone that feels, you know, like you want to be around them. Yeah. I mean, ke- chemistry is a timeless thing. And these two on screen definitely had it. Um, yeah. And I saw just before we were recording uh, on Instagram, someone shared some behind the scenes photos of this um, movie being made and, and the, between the pair. And yeah. it genuinely did look like they were getting on. This wasn't a kind of get him out of my sight. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Despite the fact that transpired that she earned a lot more money than he did yes yeah again for, for the time would have been not unprecedented because you know a lot, a lot of the way that the studio system worked is that a lot of the the female actors had a lot of the power in certain yeah. in certain yeah. regards but still it was you know clark gable being out salaried totally and apparently mm. they only had a four, four weeks to film it because she said you've got me for four weeks and then i'm going to go on holiday so <laughs> You better get a move on. <laughs> just so amazing. Just turning up and saying that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> but it, it might have given the whole thing, that thing of the two of them not thinking that they were going to be in a very good film, which again, when we've talked about previous film, I'm not going to talk about Dirty Dancing again, <laughs> I promise. But there have been a few things that you and I have talked about in the past where it's transpired later on that kind of, you know, everyone involved thought that they were just going to be doing something that went straight to video. And sometimes I think actually it means that people are very relaxed and they're they're not kind of, um they're not thinking about giving their Oscar performance at every turn, which can actually, when you're doing a quite naturalistic comedy like this, actually might work out quite well because people are relaxing with one another and they're, they're not thinking, oh, my entire career is hanging on this. As, we, as we've touched on before, the absence of a big final declaration of love at the end of this film, the absence of there being the obligatory massive kiss in the rain such as for weddings would would have us think now is kind of an essential or maybe something like um, Jerry Maguire or, you know, You Complete Me. The fact that this film doesn't give you that. What do you think of that? Do you miss it? Do you like the fact that it doesn't give us that? How do you feel? I think that because we're kind of used to it now, it's a nice tonic. There's the fact that she's jumped in his waiting car at the wedding and then they have their shenanigans where the blanket is removed or the walls of Jericho have toppled yeah. in, in the uh, the low budget hotel chain and um, they I didn't say it and <laughs> I, I think it's looking at it now it's a novelty and it's I can appreciate it you kind of appreciate something that's not there yes I think we're so conditioned to expect it now yeah that to not have it is a tonic. Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it was clever, it's just how it was done, and we've been overladen with it ever since. Yes. But I think seeing things where it's not being done, it is a treat. And we all know what happened when the blanket comes down. (laughs) You know, they just snuggle under it and go to sleep. But Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, we're at a point where... Yeah, you can have too much of a good thing or a bad thing or whatever. If it's done well, great. But, yeah, you can't do it wrong if you don't do it. Yes, that's true. On the one hand, there's a part of me that misses it a bit because I quite like a good kiss. 
But on the other, I think that one good thing about it is that sometimes when you're watching romantic comedies, even some of the best ones, you can sometimes think, are they, you know, are they leading people on a little bit in terms of making people think that, you know, you can control your love life so that you're able to kind of have some some kind of relationship that in the end will kind of turn into a sort of Disney fairy tale and you'll go, go skipping off into the sunset. And there's something about this one that I think is quite good. The fact that they don't they don't have him kind of breaking character at the end of the film and turning into an incredibly sensitive, you know, kind of sentimental guy that's you know, going to give you that big scene, I think is actually much more in keeping with kind of reality and characterization. And yeah, as you say, instead, you kind of think, well, the two of them are probably going to have quite a good night there, <laughs> you know. There's a seat over there for you. What's the idea? I'd like to sit next to my wife, if you don't mind. Your wife? Yeah. Come on, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Excuse me, you know. I was just, um, sure, I'm, excuse me, miss. I was just uh, trying to make things pleasant, you see. Excuse me, I, I uh, mean anything, uh, Doc. Uh, uh, no, no, no offense, Doc. Ooh, no. I like the bit where he runs after the guy that's taken her bags. I have to say, there are some bits in this way, you know, there's that and he goes off to try and find something to eat and they, is it bad that I quite like those bits? Sometimes it'd be nice to be brought a cup of coffee. It'd be nice to have, you know, and it's not just about old fashioned chivalry with doors being held open and stuff, but you know, there is that thing about not expecting, but kind of catering to your partner's, needs and desires and wants yes. and, and it goes from everything from the bedroom to making them a sandwich a bit, absolutely you know, so. absolutely i totally agree so if you were on a on a night bus and um uh, you were being hit on by a drunken lady and um <laughs> in a way that was a bit too persistent would you quite like it if then a woman came over and excuse me he's with me if you wouldn't mind why not why not <laughs> you know I mean that's assuming that you know they haven't already gestured at me to take my headphones out and you know all that kind of stuff they haven't yeah. sort of stood in front of me with a crotch at eye levels right trying to intimidate me yeah it's um yeah no I'd um I'd appreciate that that'd be, that'd be nice he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ears a daring young man on the flying trapeze his movements were graceful, all girls he could please, and my love he has stolen away. Well, as we remove our best pyjamas and get in line for the communal showers, we leave you with the question, are you a good piggybacker? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me. Letters which did my heart call that she was appearing with him, the rotter. He taught her gymnastics and dressed her in tights to help him to live at his ease. And he made her assume a masculine name And now she goes on the trapeze She floats through the air with the greatest of ease You think her a man on the flying trapeze She does all the work while he takes his ease And that's what became of my love 